You know, this is one of those mornings when I, I was praying for you. And I thought, wow, if I was at Wheaton, this would be like a morning that I would bring donuts or something to class. I got nothing <laughs> for you, except I did pray for you. A special blessing for those of you who ventured out in the rain to come today. All right, I think we're pretty much out. Hopefully everybody has a handout. Yeah, somebody just said, you're not messing around, you're back and you're not messing around. I know it's three pages, but here, here's how this is gonna work. Thank you to Julie for taking two weeks for me. While I was gone, she did two straight. So now I'm gonna do two straight. So we're talking about waiting on the Lord this morning, which was so fun, because did you hear the songs we sang? And those were chosen six weeks ago. And one of the verses that she read is one we're gonna be talking about today. Now I could give you the acronym God gave me years ago when I was waiting on God to do something and we could bada bing, bada boom, do this lecture in approximately 22 minutes. Or I could go deeper with you and that is my heart's desire to go deeper with you, not just give you what WAIT stands for for me. And here's the reason why. Because our faith is not a blind faith. It is a faith that is built on the truth. And it is actually logical why we wait on the Lord. So I wanna lay the foundation of truth and get as far as we get in 30 minutes. And then I'll pray, y'all will go, and we'll pick back up next week. So what I'm telling you is bring this three-page handout back next week. See, I'm not going to kill you today. She was a little nervous here in the front. I'm not going to kill you. So just bring the handout back, and we're going to pick up wherever we leave off, and I have an idea how far we're going to get today anyway. We'll finish it up next week, and then next week, when you do your lesson, you're going to find a lot of really strange uh, things happening in that chapter of Ruth. And so next week, I'd like to just spend some time giving you some contextual, cultural things that are happening in that chapter that don't happen today ever. Um, so that's what the plan is for these next two weeks, okay? All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the rain. Thank you for these ladies that are here. Thank you for the ladies that will listen. Thank you for the gift of your word and your spirit who we're counting on to teach us this morning. We open our minds and our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Okay, so um, on that top line, before we go any further, I am waiting on God to, or I am waiting on God for. So if you'll just take a minute and I'm not going to ask you to share or raise your hand on what you wrote. If it's really personal, you can do it by just the first letter of the whole sentence. I don't care. My, my friend accuses me of, she said, if I, could know, if I knew shorthand like you did, I'd answer all these questions in my book too, but I don't want to die someday and somebody find my book and see all the bad stuff about me. I said, well, both of my sisters know shorthand, so one of my relatives could read all the bad stuff about me. So I don't, I'm not going to ask you to tell me what you put there, but I want you to take a minute. What are you waiting on God for? If you can't think of anything that you're waiting on God for, what are you praying about right now? Newsflash, that's what you're waiting on God for. 
If you're really not spiritual at all this morning and you just want to say, what am I worrying about? There you go. That's two, okay? Now, I had a lot longer to think about that question than you did, so I wrote down some things that I have waited for in the past. Waited for a diagnosis, waited for the police, waited for the fire department, waited for an ambulance, waited for x-rays, waited for MRIs, waited for tumors to shrink, waited for medicine to work, treatments to work, waited for relationships to mend, waited for relationships to begin, waited for a home, waited for a job, waited for a relative to come back to Jesus, waited for adoption, waited for results, waited for life, waited for death. Then I started thinking about the different places I've waited. I've waited in my home. I've waited in a waiting room. I've waited by two deathbeds. I've waited on the street. I've waited on my knees. I've waited at the doctors. I've waited in my car. I've waited at an accident. Then I started thinking currently in my own family, my immediate family, what are we waiting for? Waiting for a child, waiting for adoption, waiting for a job situation, waiting for medical results, waiting for healing, and waiting for a relationship. So I don't know what you wrote, but waiting seems to be a part of life, doesn't it? In our book this week, our author says on page 88, we were asked to give an example of a time you weren't sure what God was doing, but ultimately experienced his faithfulness through the situation. Then on page 91, she says, quote, there are still many things I'm in a holding pattern on. Does anyone here feel like you're in a holding pattern right now in some area? A few hands, yeah. On page 92, she says, learning to stay open to the movement of God is hard. It requires a deeper sense of trust and belief in him than I think we may naturally have. Boy, I agree with that. And that's why we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about this morning. And we've already looked at this in the life of Ruth and Naomi. So what I'd like to do this morning is look at this in another Bible character's life a real man, um, and see if we can learn some principles of what to do in these holding pattern times of our lives. So when I say the name Joseph, Old Testament character, what do you think of? I'll wait. Old Testament, Joseph. What do you think of? coat of many colors. Yeah, a lot of you might have thought of the coat of many colors. Joseph was Jacob's 11th son, and he was Jacob's favorite son. So much so that Jacob gives him this coat of many colors. At 17, he was sent by his dad to go check on his brothers who were watching the flocks. And basically, Joseph comes back and is a tattletale on his brothers. This did not help the sibling relationships at all. Then you had the coat. And actually, after the coat in Genesis 37, 4, by the way, the whole story of Joseph is Genesis 37 to 50. I'm going to give it to you in uh, two minutes or less here this morning. 
in Genesis 37, 4, it says the brothers hated Joseph because of their father's partiality. Wow, no words minced there. Then to make it even worse, Joseph has some pretty prophetic dreams about his own power someday over his father and brothers, and he shares it with the family. Not perhaps the smartest move there on Joseph's part, but this was the straw that broke the camel's back. And the next time that Jacob sends Joseph to check on his brothers out watching the flocks, they see him coming. Who could miss the coat, right? And they, the Bible says they plot to kill him. That's how much they hate him. So here comes Joseph. The oldest brother, Reuben, says, you know, let's not kill him. So they decide they strip him of his coat and they throw him in a well. And then the brothers sit down to have dinner while, the, while Joseph's in the well, screaming, by the way. And they see a caravan uh, of traders, uh, Ishmaelite traders coming. And they get this idea of, let's make some money on this deal. So they sell him, they sell their brother to the Ishmaelite traders. Then the brothers kill a goat and take the coat and, you know, smatter it with the goat's blood and take it home to their father and tell their father, we found this coat and wild animals got Joseph. So the father goes into deep mourning thinking his favorite beloved son is dead. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the Ishmaelite traders were on their way to Egypt and they, they trade, they sell Joseph again as a slave and he becomes uh, part of Potiphar's slave. He does such a good job that he becomes actually the one in charge and everything's going really well until Potiphar's wife falsely accuses Joseph of rape and he ends up in prison. And while he's down there in prison, he does such a great job, he becomes in charge of the prisoners. Well, two of the kings, the Pharaoh's workers, offend Pharaoh, and they end up in prison. And they both have dreams. And lo and behold, Joseph, because of God's gifting to him, interpret the dreams for the two. Well, one of them is going to die, and Joseph knows that. And the one that's going to live, he says, hey, when you get out, could you kind of say a good word about me and get me out of here? And the guy says, sure. The dreams come true. The one dies, the one lives, but the one that lives kind of has a little amnesia thing and forgets all about Joseph until the Pharaoh has a couple of dreams. And the Pharaoh wants to know, what do my dreams mean? Well, this jogs the guy's memory. He says, hey, there's this guy in prison, Joseph, who can interpret dreams. So they get Joseph out of prison. He comes before Pharaoh and he does tell him what the dreams mean. And it has to do with an impending famine that's going to come throughout the land. Joseph gets put in charge of the famine relief plan. The famine does affect the whole land. And so Jacob and Joseph's brothers are without food. And so Jacob sends the boys to go get food from Egypt because of this great famine relief plan that's going on there. They have no idea that they're going to Joseph, their brother, to get the food. Eventually, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and 
has them bring their father to him. All right, so what now what? From Joseph's life, what principles can we learn to help us in our seeming holding patterns of life? The first, God is with me. God is with us. He will never leave us, no matter our circumstances. In Genesis 39, listen to all of these phrases. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Genesis 39, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. Genesis 39, verse 23. The Lord was with him. And this isn't just an Old Testament concept. Actually, in the New Testament, we are promised the Holy Spirit that will not only not never leave us, he will never leave us, but he is in us. John 14, 16 through 17 says, and I will, this is Jesus speaking, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. And he is in us now. So God is with me and God is working. Not only is he with us, he is working. Listen to Genesis 45. This is Joseph speaking to his brothers. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. And again, this is not just an Old Testament concept. In the New Testament, Jesus says in the Gospel of John, my father is always working and so am I. So God is with me, God is working, and God is trustworthy. He's not just working, he's working for good, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Genesis 50 says, again, he's talking to his brother, Joseph is talking to his brothers. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. And remember Romans 8, 28, the last time I was able to be with you three weeks ago, we talked about the context of this verse, the richness of it, that God works for good. So what now, what, what am I to do with these facts? What have I learned? God is with me. God is always working for good. God is trustworthy and it's not an if then, this is an and. I won't always understand what he's doing. I touched on this before, but it's really important to understand this if we're gonna wait on God. We talked about these scriptures, they're there on your handout for you again in Proverbs and Isaiah 55. So what do I do when I don't understand? I lean into the truth of who he is and how do I know who he is? One sure way is to look to God's word. God can reveal himself in a lot of different ways. He is so creative, but he is right there in his word. In Exodus, we did not read this scripture together before, but I wanna read it now because this is God's description of himself. This is how he wants to be known. 
in Exodus 34. He's talking to Moses here. And he says, then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. And he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses calling out Yahweh, the Lord. The God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And then in the New Testament, again in the Gospel of John, Jesus says this, if you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? John in John 1.18 says, uh, actually this is, well, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. So if you're struggling seeing God even in scripture, I encourage you to read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and look at Jesus. That is God. That is our picture of God. On your handout is Paul's description of God. Love that in Acts 17. You can read that on your own. One so what now what lesson Joseph teaches me that flows from the third truth that we know about God. God is trustworthy is I can trust God, right? That flows logically. Just like Ruth didn't know the rest of the story, Joseph didn't know the rest of the story. He had been given those dreams as a teenager, but he, it certainly didn't look like that was what was gonna play out, did it? So even in a well, even in a trade caravan, even as a slave, even in prison, even in a counterculture, even as a minority, even in a new place, even in a strange place, and you can fill in the blank with your situation, even blank, whatever it is you're going through. You can add all the evens you want to, and God is still trustworthy, which means I can trust him. You can trust him. So what is on your first blank that you filled in? Think about that. What are you waiting on God for? Or what are you praying for? Or I teased you about what are you worrying about? Whatever you answered, you can bring it forward. I can trust him in, you can finish that. I can trust him with, I can trust him no matter if. I can trust him even when. Whatever you answered, you can bring it forward. Psalm 62 was what we looked at three weeks ago and when we dealt with, uh, how do we deal with our anger with God? And then I noticed, thank you by the way to the guys in the back who record all of these, the two that I missed. It was so wonderful to sit and listen to Julie's teaching at home with my handout and filling in her notes. And I noticed Julie used the same scripture, she prayed it over you. Psalm 62, when she taught. Psalm 62, let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Oh, my people, 
Trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. The foundation of waiting on God or waiting for God is the truth of who God is. God is with me, God is working, God is trustworthy. I can trust God. All right. On, by the way, on the bottom of your handout on that page is Psalm 62, 5 through 8, and I just personalized it. And this is uh, really helpful for me as I wait on God to read that and uh, just meditate on the truth of that psalm. All right, I must understand the truth about God's plans. So let's look at what does Scripture say about God's plans. God's plans are for the whole earth. Isaiah 14 says, I have a plan for the whole earth, a hand of judgment upon all the nations. The Lord of heaven's armies has spoken. Who can change his plans? When his hand is raised, who can stop him? I must understand God's plans are for me. God's plans are for you. Look at Psalm 138. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. For your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Don't abandon me, for you made me. At a time in my life as a young mom when things were changing for me career-wise, I clung to this verse knowing it was the truth, that God would work out his plans for my life. He wasn't abandoning me. I must understand about God's plans that God's plans will happen. They will happen. Isaiah 46 says, and do not forget the things I have done throughout history, for I am God, I alone. I am God, and there is no one else like me. Only I can tell you what is going to happen, even before it happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. Wow, that's pretty powerful. And that's what God says, and that's the truth, right? Not on the PowerPoint here, but on your handout is Jeremiah 1. And in Jeremiah 1, he says a phrase. He says, I am watching and I will certainly carry out all my plans. Do you hear no loopholes in this dealing with God? That's beautiful. That, that's a solid rock you can stand on. There are no loopholes. I must understand God's plans are not stopped by man. Thank goodness, right? Listen to the absolutes here. In Job, which we talked about Job three weeks ago. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. In Psalm 33, but the Lord's plans stand firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. Do you hear how strong these words are? Every word is important. Every word. I must understand God's plans are carried out by angels. All of this is foundational to why I wait on the Lord. Psalm 103 says, praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands. Now, just in a side note here, when we pray, when Jesus teaches us how to pray and we pray that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, this is a glance, a picture of how God's will is done in heaven. Can you see it? The angels stand ready for his command. He gives a command and the angels are, I'm on it. So when we pray that, what we're saying is, Lord, just tell me what to do. I'm so ready. I want to obey. I want to obey. What? Okay, I'm on it. 
That's what we're praying for. Okay, sorry, got outside there. Um, God can also employ non-Christians and Christians to carry out his plans, by the way. And this is shown to us in scripture over and over again. God actually uses Pharaoh to show his glory in not letting the children of Israel go right away. God uses the Egyptians to fund the 40-year travel in the wilderness. Okay, Uh, that's the truth about God's plans. And just so we don't get confused at all, let's look at man's plans, okay? They're not the same. So man's plans. Proverbs 16, we can make our own plans. Boy, how many planners do we have in here? I, me too. We can make our own plans, but the Lord gives the right answer. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. That's comforting to me. And he has done this in my life. I had a really good plan. Man, it was a good plan. And then God gave me a better plan. I won't share that with you now, maybe someday. Proverbs 19, 21, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Again, as a planner, this is, these are two of the most comforting scriptures in, in the whole Bible to me, that it's the Lord's plans that will prevail. And as I get older, it becomes easier and easier for me to pray with all my heart and mean it to the depths of my bones. Please, Lord, let your plan prevail. It's like your will be done, right? That Jesus prayed. Big difference here between God's plans and man's plans. So even when I don't understand the specifics of why he's doing something, the timing of his work, when he's doing it, how he's going to do it, all of that, I know the truth about God's plans from his word. And dear sister, here is a promise concerning God's plans for you and for me in Philippians 1, 6. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. This is why I must wait on God. There is a distinction here with our word choice. The first two are must. But this third one, it's a will. You see, this one is not an option. I will wait on God. One and two are a choice, but I will wait on God. So you can just mark through the must and write above it will, or you can in the blanks below it write, I will wait on God. What do I mean by that? I am not gonna rush God. I am not gonna slow God down. So the question actually becomes, Not will I wait on God, because I will wait on God. The question is, how will I wait on God? Does that make sense to you? What about when you can't see the active hand of God in your life? For Ruth and Naomi, you know, that wasn't a quick, we'll get there, we're in a field, you're married, you have a son. It wasn't like that. It's a short book, but it took time to develop. We talked about the importance of leaning into the truth of who he is during these times, but we all probably have kind of an inclination of what do we do? What are some of our options? Well, during waiting times, we can lose faith. We can take things into our own hand. What is your tendency? Think about that. Again, know the truth and live like it. 
If I lose faith and take things into my own hand, even then I will still wait on the Lord. The so what now what on your handout for self-reflection, of course, you're always welcome to use any of these questions in your group leader as you want. When is the time that I waited on the Lord? What were the circumstances? How did I do? What did I do? What did God do? Am I currently waiting on God regarding, regarding a circumstance and or a relationship? How am I doing? So the rest of our time, we're going to stay right here on waiting on God, asking some questions, looking to his word for the answers. I will wait on God. We're going to look at why should I wait on God? How do I wait on God? And what do I do while I'm waiting? Now, Loreen, let me come up early today. So I'm actually right now at 30 minutes. And so to keep us on track with our Wednesday night group, I think it would be best if I stopped here. So y'all come back, Nick, wait for it. Do you see how I did that title? I said, wait for it. And then I found that little X out and wait for him. So wait for it for next week. And we'll pick up right here with looking at these questions. Okay, let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you that you are good, that you are working that you are trustworthy, and that I can trust you. So in this room where there are many of us waiting right now, thank you that we wait on you. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you so much.